Welcome to The Blueprint, the podcast for the world's visionaries and dreamers. I'm your host, Chika Chukudibello, and today's guest is Franklin Leonard, the creator of The Blacklist, a service for screenplay writers around the world to get Hollywood exposure to their scripts. It's no surprise that it can be pretty impossible to get someone in Hollywood to pay attention to your script without any connections or a lot of money. Over the last decade, The Blacklist has proven to be an influential resource for Hollywood executives and a strong indicator of which feature films are bound for critical acclaim. For example, three of the last six Best Picture Oscar winners, Argo, The King's Speech, and Slumdog Millionaire started out as scripts on The Blacklist. Several of this year's frontrunners in 2015 were on last year's list, including Whiplash, The Imitation Game, and Selma. As a kid with a father who was a military physician, Franklin was born in Honolulu and lived in Germany and several American cities before his family moved to Georgia to take care of his elderly grandfather. Growing up there as a black nerd was uh, probably not the easiest thing socially. Um, and I'm not, I'm honestly not sure in retrospect how much of that was sort of because I was black or because I was a nerd, but the combination of the two was definitely not a good thing for my social life. And, um, you know, I went to a predominantly white school, a private school. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was very focused on my studies, both because my parents expected that of me, but also just because it was a natural inclination. His effort earned him admission into Harvard University, where he tried his hand at many different career paths, including an internship at George Magazine, a magazine co-founded by the late JFK Jr., and a stint as a columnist for the Guardian newspaper while living in Trinidad. He also helped run a political campaign for congressional race in Ohio. It was working on this campaign that opened his eyes to a side of politics that didn't really appeal to him. I soured on working on on-the-ground politics during that campaign, really because of the role of money in the process. Okay. Um, I think I went in as very much a true believer and sort of, you know, if you can just communicate your ideas, um, then the best ideas win, okay. which obviously is not the case right. in the American political system for the most part. From time to time, it, it proves to be the case, but usually not without a great deal of support uh, from massive campaign war chests. After the political campaign ended, he landed a job at the prestigious consulting firm McKinsey & Company. He quickly realized his passion wasn't here either. No, we were working for a major magazine publisher, and I thought, you know, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be in the room, and again, my naivety at play. Uh, I'm going to be in the room with the sort of people creating the content and the editors of, of their magazines talking about how they can improve their content to, to improve their bottom line. And I spent, I think it was like a month, six days a week, about 18 hours a day, figuring out how they could reduce their paper costs, which, <laughs> you know, an undeniably important component of right. running a major magazine publisher. Right. And, and now that I run the blacklist, you know, there are business questions that I'm faced with that are actually very similar. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what I was interested in. Right. Realizing that he needed to make a move to find the job that he'd be excited to do every day, he made a choice to change things up. I went to Human Resources and said, how do I quit? And, and really? Yeah. And the, sec <laughs> and the Secretary in Human Resources said, look, take a week. Take a week, collect another paycheck, burn out is common here, uh -huh. don't rush into anything. Uh, if you still want to quit, we'll take care of it. Wow. And um, a couple of days later, before I, I sort of worked up the nerve to quit, my entire analyst class was laid off with five months severance. Wow. Yeah. Um, which was, so you know, was coming, I have to assume that she did. And I have to assume it was as good looking out as a person can do, honestly. Wow. Short of, you know, 
pulling me back from a, a out of control car mm-hmm. or like taking a bullet for me, uh-huh. that is as good as looking out gets. With five months severance in his pocket, Franklin had a lot of extra time on his hands and was in no rush to find a job right away. He found himself using his free time the way a lot of us do. At some point I discovered that I was spending a lot of my time watching movies or reading about the film industry. And I don't know where that came from, but it was increasingly taking up more and more of my time. Um, you know, whatever I was sort of getting, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, and whatever I was getting into in Manhattan, I made a point before I would leave the island of stopping by Kim's video on St. Mark's Place and renting a bunch of movies, um, and then watching them when I got home. And there was a night, um, it was a snowstorm, I believe it was in February of 2003, when I rented uh, Dr. Strangelove, Amadeus, and Being There, which are some of my favorite movies, and watched them back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And at the end of Being There, um, without sort of giving away a spoiler, the very end of being there, I sort of had this like you know this moment, and I went into my uh, my bedroom and and rented and bought a ticket to L.A. for the month of March. Oh wow! And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that like I should go check L.A. out and okay. see if there was something in the film industry that might appeal to me. Once in L.A., he gets a sublet for a month. So I came out here in March, sublet an apartment in Beverly Hills, uh, sublet a room in Beverly Hills, not even a full, my whole apartment, my whole apartment, mm-hmm. was sleeping in a sleeping bag on a wood floor. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, literally it was an empty room, sleeping bag, wood floor, wow. and my laptop, like that was my, that and then I think, up. yeah, and I think I had a, a pillowcase with a bunch <laughs> of like t-shirts thrown in it, or like my dirty clothes, that was my pillow. He lands a job at CAA, one of the top talent agencies in Hollywood, and goes on to become a creative executive at several entertainment companies, including Universal Studios, Appian Way, which is Leonardo DiCaprio's production company, and Will Smith's production company, Overbrook Entertainment. My job was to sort of read the best material, mm-hmm. uh, or find the best material, and then pass it up the chain of command, and, and I felt like I wasn't finding very much good stuff. And if my job was to find good stuff, one of two things was happening. Either I was really bad at my job mm-hmm. or the job was to read bad scripts and pass on them. So uh, I was looking for good material to read. I was going on vacation for two weeks. I wanted to read some good scripts. I sent an email to 75 of my peers. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance you were one of I them. Did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and said, look, send me a list of your 10 favorite scripts from, uh, from this past year that haven't been produced yet. Uh, that you read this year and that you loved. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, I'll send you back the combined list. And that's what I did. And I, I slapped a quasi-subversive name on it, the blacklist, and went on vacation and really didn't think anything of it. And so the seeds for the blacklist were planted. We're going to end here for this episode and pick back up with how Franklin grew the blacklist in part two of his story, which we'll share in a couple weeks. While the blacklist is currently Franklin's biggest endeavor and what he's most known for professionally, He walked through several different doors just to get to this point. He tried lots of different pursuits and each one taught him a little more about what he liked as well as what he didn't like. Sometimes we can underestimate the importance of knowing what doesn't work for you. It's easy to look at someone who's made great strides and think they must have always been certain this is the road they wanted to take. But I hear a lot of fearless exploration in Franklin's story where he opened himself up to following his interests, even with the possibility of hitting a closed door. His curiosity led him to the point where he found himself in a career that he loves and never could have even imagined had he not had those previous experiences. Nothing gets wasted when you follow your path, and Franklin is living proof. So now it's your turn. 
tell us how many paths you had to explore to land in a place that you love. How many of you haven't yet found that thing that you do love, but also haven't given up trying? Tweet us at showmeblueprint using hashtag findingyourownpath and hashtag theblueprint in your tweets. That's it for this episode of The Blueprint. Join us in a couple weeks to hear the evolution of the blacklist. From Chica Chukudabelu and my producer, Sonata Lee Narciss, we want to encourage you to keep drafting your blueprint.